listening to episode 63 of the Daily Growth Discipleship Podcast. I'm Chris Lamberth. And I'm Josh Havens. And we're on a journey to learn what it means to live a lifestyle of discipleship. We're glad you're joining us and hope that as you set aside this time for God, that he would help you grow today in the everyday moments of life. Today, we're talking to Alan Fadling. Alan serves as a frequent speaker and consultant with local churches, national organizations, and leaders internationally. He's also president and founder of Unhurried Living, Inc. in Mission Viejo, California, inspiring people to rest deeper, live fuller, and lead better. He shows leaders how to get perspective so their leadership flows from a full soul and out of a healthy rhythms of work and rest. A trained spiritual director, Alan is also the award-winning author of An Unhurried Leader and An Unhurried Life, which was honored with the Christianity Today Award of Merit in Spirituality. His latest book, The Way of Presence, is a wonderful, insightful invitation to go beyond merely seeking truth intellectually in exchange for a daily practice of pursuing live wisdom in grace. God is present with you in every moment of your life. Think about the reality of that statement. Whether it's the most mundane tasks you do or those once-in-a-lifetime experiences, God, your Father, is with you wanting to enjoy life with you. And he does this with both his grace and his truth. Learning to live the Jesus way in grace and truth is challenging at times, though, But as we practice the way of Jesus with the truth of Jesus, we find we're living the Jesus life. In this episode, Alan joins us again and helps us understand the value of the... In this episode, Alan Fadling joins us again and helps us understand the value of Jesus as the way, the truth, and the life in a way that will help anyone striving to live a lifestyle of discipleship. Alan, welcome back to the podcast for the third time. <laughs> well, I'm I'm glad to be able to be a regular guest, apparently. So really the, the issue is you keep writing books and and investing in people in ways that I think are really important for learning to live a lifestyle of discipleship. And so honestly, I, I mean, we were talking about this before we started recording, but I, I think out of all of our podcast guests, you've influenced and invested in me more than, than the others. And so it's a pleasure for me and an honor to be able to talk with you again, especially about your uh, upcoming, actually releasing the same time this podcast releases book, The Way of Presence. Uh, well, it's yeah, it's great to be able to join you. I'm so grateful for God's graciousness in uh, letting me be of encouragement to you. Thanks for letting me know. Yeah, no problem. Our pleasure. So tell us a little bit about why you wrote this book. What's the, what's the story behind The Way of Presence? Well, there's probably more than one. Um, one story is that uh, it represents little snapshots, about 60 of them, from my personal journal. And I've said before, um, this is not a virtuous sounding phrase. I'm an, I'm an obsessive journaler. <laughs> um, you know, in a little over 30 years, I've written about seven point some million words of journal. Wow. And, you know, to give that a perspective, if you took my first book, An Unhurried Life, and did that number of pages as books and, and, and made seven million words worth of books, it'd be like a 
110 books or something. It's just <laughs> silly. It's ridiculous. So now you know as well as I do that, you know, nobody wants to read everybody's word for word journal. A whole lot of that stuff is just personal stuff that no one but you cares about. But every once in a while, there'd be a moment of encounter with God that I thought was important. And so I went back through a certain little window of my journal and sort of pulled some of those out. And that so that's sort of the functional answer. I, I knew there were things I wanted to share. In terms of the title, The Way of Presence, presence uh, has been an important word for me. I feel like we're uh, often we're a culture of absence. You know, we're, we're absent from each other. We're absent from ourselves. We can be in ministry and be largely practically absent from God. So I just think presence is such an important thing. So you have a, a quote in the introduction from Eugene Peterson that uh, I love. And I honestly, I think it really aptly describes what we're trying to do with daily growth discipleship in hmm. that we want to really make every part of life, every moment of life, something that is lived in the way of Jesus. And so many times as Christians, we tend to divorce what we know about Jesus or the truth of Jesus from the way that we actually live our lives. Yeah. Um, can you tell us a little bit about what it means to live the Jesus way? Yeah, well, I, I hope you don't mind, but I love that quote so much. I just want, want to read it. You oh, know, good. It I was hoping from, you would. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So Eugene Peterson's uh, five-volume, you know, kind of spiritual conversation series, uh, the book The Jesus Way comes in there, and right up off the top of that book, he comes in, he says, first he quotes the John fourteen six line, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And then he goes on to say, the Jesus way wedded to the Jesus truth brings about the Jesus life. We can't proclaim the Jesus truth, but then do it any old way we like, nor can we follow the Jesus way without speaking the Jesus truth. We can't suppress the Jesus way in order to sell the Jesus truth. The Jesus way and the Jesus truth must be congruent. So only when the Jesus way is organically joined with the Jesus truth do we get the Jesus life. To me, that last line, that was it. I That absolutely floored me the first time I read it. Because what I feel like often happens is, first of all, we hear that line about Jesus. And in my early experience as a Christian, it was mostly given to me as something I needed to believe about Jesus. Like it was a doctrinal threshold that I had to cross. Uh, it was never explained to me early on what that would actually mean, that Jesus was the way, the truth, and life, in a lived sense, like in a, a real sort of way. And so the way, you know, Eugene Peterson sort of took that, I think, you know, Jesus as the truth often gets reduced to right answers to questions or apologetics or whatever. And the Jesus life, that sort of gets reduced to where are you going to spend forever? Mm-hmm. Uh, but but there doesn't seem to be very much talk about Jesus' way, like how he lived and how he related to people and how he conducted himself and his the engine that drove him and whatever way you want to say it, all those things speak to his way. And I just think, you know, so when I talk about unhurried, I think that is a beautiful word to describe the way of Jesus. And I think the more I think into that, 
Um, another word that describes his way is the way of presence. He has a remarkable way of being present to people nobody else is present to. So I, I love the idea of just discipleship is learning the way of Jesus, learning to follow that way. I think it's the best way there is. Why do you think it is that we miss that Jesus, the way Jesus lived his life, uh, has value for the way we should live our life? Yeah, that's a pretty good question. Why in the world do we do that? Right? Yeah, I mean, it seems like if he's supposed to be, if we're in this discipleship relationship, right, that we should be following, you know, everything, not just, you know, uh, you know, we, we like to quote it, right? Uh, you know, do as I do, or, you know, uh, I'm miss, uh, <laughs> I'm miss saying it, but, uh, you know, uh, we're supposed to not just do what he does, but we're also, or do what he says, but we'll do what he does as well. Yeah, I, I don't know. I think there are a number of reasons that happens. Um, one is this sort of weird way we think about grace and faith and justification and stuff like that. Like the minute you've got got us doing something, now we're somehow in works neighborhood. Mm -hmm. And well, you surely wouldn't want any of that, you know. Mm -hmm. Except if the vision of Jesus is that he's a rabbi, you know, that he's a master. And that, in fact, just like those first 12, we've been invited to be apprentices. We really have been learned to, to do something. That's what he came. He came to help us learn to do something. What? To live, to live well, to live well in community, to live well, uh, live our lives well, to do our work well, to do all of that as he would do it. So if you understand um, the Christian life as an apprenticeship, then, of course, you're going to think of it as some uh, a life that we're, whereby you're learning to do something, learning to do what Jesus did in the same way that Jesus says, what I do, the works I do, they're the works of my Father. He's he's an apprentice of the Father by, by the Spirit, in a sense. And so I just think we have a way of defining it that um, somehow doing Jesus' way sounds like works to certain theological mm -hmm. ears. And then the other is, frankly, it's kind of hard at first, and people would rather reduce the faith to something relatively easy. Like, it's way easier just to say, say a certain kind of prayer and join a certain kind of club and avoid certain masterful, really super big bad sins, and you'll be okay. Instead of, actually, there's this wonderful life. It's a way of life. It is such a good life. Wouldn't you like to come learn how to live this? Yeah. I mean, for me, you look back at the Old Testament law, and it's just rule after rule after rule after rule. And you're right. If we had a rule for every little thing that made it very clear exactly what we needed to do to end up at the place we wanted to end up, life is simple. But... I think that misses what God's really calling us into, and that's a relationship with him in which we are in his image, part of his uh, family, doing the things that his family does out of our nature, not because we're trying to, to reach a certain goal. And I think in the, at least in the in Western Christianity anyway, in the, yeah, maybe just in my Midwest culture, I don't know. <laughs> um, we tend to look at, the Christian life as attempting to just get to that Jesus life, what happens after we die. Yeah. And the way that we get there is kind of a, you just got to do what you got to do. 
but we miss out on the the abundance of the present life that God's come to to give us and enjoy with us and and allow us to enjoy in in the everyday moments of life and there's such a there's such a, a liberating uh, feeling that comes along with that understanding I think yeah no I agree with you completely I uh you know I was talking with you guys before we jumped on the actual recorded conversation about some mentors God gave me and I remember one of them took me 30 years ago to a very familiar passage, you know, John 15. And what is that? That's the vine and the branches. It's something organic, you know, and it's about how a, uh, how a vine and how a branch connect and how the result of that is fruit, productivity, you know, abundance. And that speaks to this Christian life is something that was always meant to be abundant and rich. He he wants his joy to be in us and for that joy to be complete. Wouldn't that be a great, great life? Doesn't that sound like yeah. a great way of life? Yeah. You know, or or to be as loved by by the Father as Jesus is. That we could that could be our understanding, our self understanding. I think that's really a great way. Yeah, and it seems like like that's a that's a really cool concept to say in theory and takes, uh, I think a lifetime to really get at understanding. And, uh, if I understand, I haven't read your book. So usually the way we do, uh, you know, our, our conversations is that one of us reads the book and the other one hasn't. So Josh has done more uh, reading right now and I will wait until, uh, the, the next week <laughs> from the time of this recording, um, yeah. but uh, to, to get the book and, and begin my journey. I, I imagine, though, that that's what you're really trying to walk people through is is trying to give them a, a doorway into uh, recognizing uh, exactly what you just said there, that that way that life with Jesus is actually possible. Um, you said you, you came through these with some of them uh, from, from your journals. What is like? How did you structure the book, and then like, how did you decide what, like, how that was, how the book was going to help lead people through this journey that you yourself uh, had gone through? Right. So, I one of the words I love, and it's a word that a mentor really gave to me, is is just the word process, <clears throat> which implies something that happens after something that happens after something, and et cetera, ad nauseum. Right. I mean, uh, that's why I love words like journey you know, or pilgrimage even, um, we grow over time. And so the way, the way I designed this book is it really means to be sort of 60 brief encounters with God over the course of, if you read them daily, right, two months. Um, I really think that uh, that is how over time we grow in our sense of God with us, you know, practicing the presence of God is a way to describe that. Well, you can only practice the presence of God by practicing. <clears throat> and so that was what I hoped this book would do. Now, I resisted the language of devotional. Uh, nothing wrong with devotionals, but I just have some friends who hear the word devotional and they sort of assume it's maybe not very deep and maybe it's a little bit pre-digested. I don't think that's fair. I think there's some devotionals. I I mean, Oswald Chambers, you know, my utmost for his highest. That's that's been a place I've gone many times to get some some deep insight. But that's what I was hoping for. I was hoping for a book that would enable people day by day just to sense God with them, 
And, you know, they say it takes, what, 30 days or everyone says a different number, but to develop a sense of habit. Mm -hmm. That's what I hope this would do. And so each entry, each chapter, a mini chapter of a couple pages each is just a little insight, begins with the scripture. And then there's a couple of questions that if you engage them, it'll really help you go deeper, I think, in that sense of God present with you. Our uh, second step, our second part in creating a lifestyle of discipleship is practicing the basics. It's these things that are spiritual disciplines, which is really just a really broad category for anything that helps you become more like Jesus. It's a practice, anything like that. Uh, What are some of your favorite practices for developing the way of Jesus in your own life? Yeah. Well, there are probably quite a few. Um, maybe I can talk about the ones I'm finding most helpful yeah, now. Yeah. Um, so a huge one for me, because I, I whether by temperament or by um, upbringing, I, I can tend to be a glass half empty person. You know, like I can see what's wrong with stuff, you know. And you can imagine my wife really enjoys that, uh, <laughs> my ability to see what's wrong in whatever is happening. So so I say that kind of facetiously, but gratitude has become critical for me. So that, for example, little by little by little, I'm finding a lot of my prayers for people are thank you prayers anymore. Even when I'm asking God to do something gracious for them, I find myself instead thanking God for how he's going to meet them uh, where they need. And I find that thanking makes me confident that God is going to meet them because, of course, this is who God is. God is a gracious God. So gratitude, whether it's looking back and noticing grace and then acknowledging grace, or whether it's looking ahead and anticipating how God will be gracious, gratitude's been really key for me. I think another, you know, and of course Dallas kind of called this the queen of the disciplines, but some combination of solitude and silence continues to be key. Um, I've got enough in me of the, you know, having been a pastor most of my adult life of kind of this performance orientation. Uh, I can, I can find myself in that mode as an author. I can find myself in that mode as a trainer, teacher, preacher. And so the gift of solitude and silence is there's no one to play for, no one to perform for. Uh, In solitude and silence, I just keep learning and remembering deeper and deeper who I am. It's as simple as being the beloved, you know, son of the father. And again, that's one of those things we all sort of, yes, yes, of course, God's love, you know, God so loved the world. We, we know that. Let's move on to deeper teachings, please. Um, and I just find that solitude and silence is a way of remembering what I know and letting it sink deeper. <clears throat> so that's been really important. And then the last thing I'll say is, you know, in the last number of years, I've found myself in the Anglican communion of churches. Um, That's kind of my neighborhood now, although I spent 30 years as a Baptist pastor. And one of the things I love is the Book of Common Prayer and therefore the rhythm of daily prayer, the daily office. And so minimally, uh, it's how I start my morning. I've got a whole frame framing of prayers that have become memory for me, prayers of confession, prayers of praise, prayers of thanks, uh, traditional prayers of request, all these things. 
I find what I love about it, it's like stepping into a river that's already flowing and I just flow with it. Because there's sometimes, you know, after 35 years as a, you know, in ministry and 40 some years as a Christian, I, I just run out of gas praying. And the gift of a structure like the Book of Common Prayer or others like it um, is a huge gift for me of just being able to come into the presence of God. Uh, so those are some maybe real-time practices I find that I'm, I'm enjoying the most, finding most help in. So I just want to m- kind of make a point here because I love, I love that idea. And a lot of people who probably listen and a lot of people in, in our uh, fellowship, our tradition of Pentecostalism, um, will probably hear something like that. And that might be the first time they've ever heard something like, you know, it's okay that if you're feeling down or you just can't quite – I'll say muster the energy or get the mojo with with your prayer life, that it's absolutely okay to step into a tradition like uh, the Anglican tradition or something that uses sort of these liturgical prayers or whatnot and, and get caught up in what God has done you know, through the life of the church and is then currently doing now in your life. And in fact, and we've, we've talked with several guests now um, that have brought up this point and, and kind of made it. And so, I don't know, I just feel a little prompted to, to say something about that, that that can be, I think, an extremely valuable gift, especially maybe during this time where we're still just 2020. I mean, you know, yeah. I, I don't <laughs> think I need to preface that anymore, but like, you know, sort of anchoring ourselves to some of these core uh, tenets of the faith and core practices of the church, I think, uh, have extreme value for us right now because they root us in in that solid foundation um, that that is Christ Himself. Yeah, I think so. There's a couple things, just real simply. One, I realize I'm a part of a bigger community than just me, mm. especially when I'm alone praying. Uh, a book like that knowing that there are hundreds, thousands, tens of thousands, maybe millions of people praying these same prayers around the world. I'm a part of a community. That really helps me. And then the other is, I grew up in a tradition, maybe you too, where I was warned against every kind of meaningless repetition. Mm-hmm. And that was that was banged over my head often. So those people, they pray that meaningless repetition. Except I'm not one of those people, and what I realize is, <laughs> Nobody ever told me there's such a category as meaningful repetition, (laughs) nor did they tell me there was such a thing as meaningless spontaneity. Yes. There are both. I have heard some of the most insipid, spontaneous prayers. It's like, I I think you're trying to be really personal with God, but I don't even understand what you're saying. You would never say words like that to anybody else. Why are you talking that way with God? I don't understand. (laughs) Now that's a great point. <laughs> it just really underscores. I mean, we. Th- I think when it comes to spiritual disciplines and practices, we think there's a formula we have to follow, and if we do it that way, that everything's going to turn out great. And so, like, even in asking you, what are some of your favorite practices for for developing? the Jesus way, I think people have a tendency to say, okay, I'm going to write down gratitude. I'm going to be, I'm going to, I'm going to thank God for things he has done and for things that he's going to do. Uh, I'm going to talk about, uh, I'm going to write down a daily office. I'm going to be sure to practice that every morning at 6 a.m. Yeah. And we can take some of these practices that other people are doing and turn them into something that just becomes 
kind of meaningless to us because it's not something that has developed organically in our relationship with with God. And and I, I still think we can start practicing something and find value in that. Well, what I like more about your explanation is not necessarily the what, but it's the why. Yeah. That, that's it. Because then you, you, you know, you explain why gratitude has been so helpful. And so in, in gratitude over the last four years for me, especially has been, um, a core practice that I've had to incorporate. I, I lost my mother, um, mm. about four years ago. And so for me, gratitude is the only way that I can sometimes wake up in the morning and see the world in color. You know, otherwise you just, you know, trying to get out of that depressive. So like hearing the, like you describe gratitude and the way it helps you, I find extremely encouraging because then it can speak to that part of me. That's also, you know, extremely critical. And, and, you know, I can see how that can uh, work itself out in in my life as well. So, yeah, I think that's a, I think that's a good point, Josh. And on that note, uh, you and your wife, Jim have developed a, call it a prayer aid. Is that accurate? (laughs) Yeah, you could call it that, call it a tool, call it a practice. Uh, it could be any of those things. Uh, it's basically a deck of, they're, they're like three by five cards. Um, if you see clips of this on YouTube, you'll see that we're actually, we actually have the cards in front of us. <laughs> they have pictures on one side of just different things, different objects, different scenes or landscapes. And on the back... There's a single word to describe a single word or phrase to describe something about that image, and it's really just a prompt to get you thinking and, and praying along uh, a certain way. Um, Chris and I are going to have a, a separate review product, product review for these items at some point, uh, but I would like to to kind of ask you about um, kind of your vision, pun intended for these prayer aids as far as helping us develop a, I'll use daily growth discipleship's term, a lifestyle of discipleship following Jesus or developing the Jesus way. Yeah. So, you know, the, the cards essentially are a combination of my wife's photography. She's been a photographer for quite a while now. And so the images are images she's taken over time um, in a lot of different contexts I think a lot of times in our Protestant, you know, Western sort of milieu, we're very word oriented, and that's a great gift. Uh, sometimes we don't let God use other capacities as a means of in, encountering Him, like imagination. We, I remember hearing the word imagination. What I think I thought I was hearing was, "You're just going to imagine stuff about God." No, I'm sorry, I'm not into that at all. I'm not going to just imagine things about God. I want reality. I want truth. I'm going to imagine things. But I didn't realize that actually my imagination was just one more capacity that God gave me, just like my rational thinking mind and all and my memory and all the different parts of kind of who I am. So this felt like a, a tool that would help people engage God from a different capacity. You know, maybe it's in the spirit of love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, strength. There's all these different ways of describing elements of of a human person. And then the questions, literally, we just were take, we would take walks and we would look at these images and we would kind of ask ourselves, what, what, what's maybe a core idea this picture is prompting or provoking? And then we just sought to write good questions, not easily answered questions, more so questions to live 
than questions to check off and be done with. And so uh, we have found that if you can find a good question to live with, that's worth a hundred answers to questions that you're done with. Uh, and so I, I just think these questions on the back of the uh, Inviso cards are just meant to be places of encounter with God, places of personal reflection, places to be honest. You know, maybe they'll lead you to confession. Maybe they'll lead you to express your longing in some way to God. But uh, we just felt it would be another important avenue for encountering God through a different um, capacity, you know, God-given capacity, like the imagination or like uh, images as opposed to words. How have you uh, found, or, or maybe how have you guys used them in your your own life? Do you uh, like? I can think of a bunch of different ways. Like for me, I I kind of put one on my office desk here, so it's it's like one of the first things I look at during the day, and then throughout the day, I can kind of glance over from my computer uh, monitor and and pause to take a break. But I could see, you know, you could put it up in the bathroom, or you know, use it for your devotional time, or what. Like, so I, I'm I'm curious to to know how you guys and, and maybe others that you've uh, heard stories from use them. Yeah, it's an interesting question. So um, we've used them a number of ways. I, I sometimes have used them and like to just as a way of starting my day in prayer. You know, sometimes just something beautiful or or if it's not beautiful, something striking or stimulating can be a nice way to sort of take something in that you then respond to. Um, we've sometimes used them for, you know, conversations, you know, those questions can serve as great conversation opportunities. We can use them in spiritual direction or mentoring or coaching or spiritual friendship kinds of conversations. We've used them quite often in groups. We'll take this pack and just toss it on the table and we'll say to a group, Hey, look at these cards and just grab the one that catches your attention. Don't look at the back yet. Don't look at the words. Don't look at the questions. Just which image grabs you? We actually had had a similar product like this that we made a, a while back, and uh, we shared them with a pastor in Russia. He's still using them, and, and he actually, uh, what he would do is he'd put the images upside down, hmm. and then he would just have people like pick a card, and then he would have people picking the same card two or three times in a row, you know, in their weeks of meeting, which then sort of became this like divine appointment feeling for them. But um, I think it's what it is, is it's just it's something that is creative. And um, so what, what we found, for example, in group environments is talking about the image, talking about what it provoked or evoked within the people in the group, talking about how the question struck them really often took the group to a deeper level of conversation than they than when they were simply talking about things and ideas and um, you know, learnings necessarily. It, it had touched their heart somehow, and it and it was a way of sharing their heart. So it really helped groups kind of knit uh, a little more closely together. Let's shift just a little bit. In your introduction, you say, grace without truth is simply unchallenging inspiration. I think in talking about the Jesus way, if we just focus on the way or, or uh, the grace side of things, the, the way that Jesus lived his life, and we divorce the truth of Jesus, it can feel like this unch uh, unchallenging inspiration where we're just called to some 
floating through life kind of experience. What's the value of the Jesus truth for living the Jesus way? Yeah, so I think the maybe the biblical line that's underneath some of that thinking and writing, I've always been struck by John's description of Jesus in, in his gospel, chapter one, of Jesus being full of grace and truth. And I just think sometimes we are full of something we think is grace and somewhat devoid of truth. Uh, my own tradition has ended up looking more like being full of something that looks like truth without very much grace. You know, again, to me, truth is, I, I prefer to think of truth in sort of Dallas Willard terms as reality. You know, truth, truth is what you bump into when you're wrong, you know, things like that. So it's, it's realizing the Jesus way is rooted in reality. It's not just a nice, inspiring religious thing to talk about once a week when you gather with a bunch of people in a certain building. But that the Jesus truth, Jesus comes to describe how life works. This is how life works. This is how life would work best. You might find that instead of hating your enemies, loving your enemies is a much better way to live. Now, is it easy? No. But I could teach you how to do that if you'd like. He's a master. So, and I love the idea of grace. Grace is, you know, it's it's the generosity of God. It's the engaging presence of God. It's the empowering uh, dynamic of God with you. Uh, grace is like the fuel. It's like the motor. It's like what makes truth realized in us. So that's why, <clears throat> that's why I, I like the idea that Jesus is full of grace and truth. Like, you need all of the truth of Jesus, all of the reality of who Jesus is and the vision of life Jesus paints for us and preaches to us. And you need all of the power of Jesus' gracious presence, gracious, empowering dynamic to live that truth, that these are complementary and they, and, and, and they both need to be full. They both need to be complete. Well, and it, it, it it seems kind of weird too um, that we we seem to want to reject a lot of that truth or at least maybe hide from that truth and just go for the grace because the grace kind of sounds nicer at times. But if we don't accept the truth, it cheapens the grace. It becomes the yeah. fairy tale or the fantasy that we're trying to uh, buy in. in. In a recent conversation with some colleagues at work, we 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 actually characterize this as the Santa Claus. Jesus becomes the Santa Claus that we haven't stopped believing in yet, and so mm. it's just we're we're going on. We're we're playing our make believe games here. Um, but when you really recognize that truth, like you're talking about, it makes uh, it, it, we realize that it's really the old way that we've been living, which is the the illusion. And that the mm. way of Christ now becomes what we discover it for the reality that it truly is. And then, and then grace starts to make sense. It, yeah. it, 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 it becomes a welcoming, uh, open door to this new reality that we get to discover for the first time. And so like, I think that's, I think that's pretty cool. Good news right there. It is. It is. And I will point out, I, I think in Jesus Grace and truth, we're meant to understand that grace and truth are inseparable. Yeah. I think so many times we look at the truth of Jesus and somehow think that that means 
following the rules so that we can get to heaven. And then grace becomes kind of the the other thing that comes alongside truth to kind of deal with it. And what I'm finding more and more is that as I as I lean into the truth, I'm finding more and more grace along the way. So like, for example, I, I read uh, back when I was going through a really, really dark depression. For some reason, I uh, had the desire to read Puritan preachers like John Owen. Wow. And so, yeah, I mean, if you're if you're if you're struggling with a sense of inferiority, go read Mortification on the Mortification of the the Sinful Nature. I mean, it's just <laughs> um but you look at those things and, and you lean into the truth of yes, I have an indwelling sin problem. Yes, God can't abide sin. But at the same time, as I as I leaned into that truth, Somehow, the Spirit did a work in my life as I was talking with Chris and with others, and and the grace came right alongside that. And when I started to experience both of those at the same time, the truth of my sin problem, the truth of the reality of living in the kingdom of God, all of a sudden became very, very good news. It Mm -hmm. wasn't as though... The good news was just, yes, I was saved from that. But the fact that God would even, I mean, Romans 5, 8, while I was still a sinner, die for me. Wow. Mm -hmm. And somehow the combination of the grace and truth in Jesus, uh, I think is just an amazing thing. And I think we have to remember that Jesus' revelation of grace and truth is meant to be a total package. And I mean, you look at what the, what Dallas Willard's saying in the, in about the sermon on the Mount in uh, the divine conspiracy. I, I think that becomes really, really evident. I appreciate your way of saying that. I think, I mean, maybe it's a very, very imperfect metaphor, but if there was some way in which your body wasn't working right and you went to a physical therapist, if the physical therapist was just nice, well, yeah. you'd, have a nice time and you'd go visit once a week or something and three months later nothing would be different Mm -hmm. now you want them to be nice you want them to be kind you don't want them to be a you know a nazi or something uh on the other hand you're going to the physical therapist because there's something you want to have well within you to me that's the truth side you know physical therapy can hurt it can hurt worse than the thing that's wrong but the vision is i'm going to be well Mm-hmm. I'm going to be who I was meant to be. And to me, the combination of grace and truth together is, yes, sometimes this life is hard, but it's hard because it's good. Mm. It's not hard just because it's hard. And some of the best things there are, take some effort, take some work, take a little bit of wrestling, take a little bit of even suffering to get there. You know, there's nobody playing in the NBA bubble who just sits around in a lazy boy watching television, and then gets up and plays basketball. They go through rigorous, rigorous training to do the kinds of things they do. Shouldn't surprise us that we might be in some rigorous training too. But grace is sort of the fuel that enables us to stay with the training. We know that someone is seeking our good. We're in the good favor of Mm -hmm. the one training us. 
Yeah, that 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 truth isn't bad news. It's that good news, and that's that grace that pulls us through each one of those uh, painful uh, moments or events. Yeah. Anyway, I, I love that. We could we could talk about that probably for another hour. Um, I've got a question though, if you don't mind, and I'm debating in my head whether or not I should ask this question because I, I in some in some ways I don't think it's a good question. In other ways, I'm just extremely curious, so I'm going to ask it. Um, because this book comes from your journal and your life experiences, I wonder if there is, like when you think of the book, uh, The Way of Presence, is there one particular chapter or episode that really stands out to you or that, that comes to mind as being sort of like the cornerstone event that, or, or maybe the most difficult thing for you to learn uh, through this process? Does something like that come to mind for you? You know, to be honest, um, it probably is a question similar to which of your three children do you love the most? Mm. You know, which of the 60 chapters were the most important? I, I probably can't uh, answer it on that basis. But what I probably would say is just that those chapters represent a, um, a season of my life. So the reason it's so ni- it was so nice for me to go back and work through them is I think anybody who journals, anybody who reflects on the path that they've taken so far, you know, we are sometimes in too big of a hurry to do that. But if you will, there is truth to be mined from the places you've been. And there's truth to be mined from the things God's taught you. One of the things I do every single morning of my life is there is a whole set of biblical verses that God's given me over 30 or 40 years. And there are a few moments where God encountered me in a living sort of spirit-driven way that were key milestone moments for me, like calling moments or redirection moments. I pray those through those every single morning, one of them, because I never want to forget what God said to me. There's, there's a moment 30 years ago where God gives a vision, us a vision for our ministry. It was a literal vision with images. It's like a little movie clip. We wrote it out. And once a week, I revisit that. I've been doing that for years because that was a moment of encounter with God. And it just refreshes that for me. So um, my hope is that maybe my personal experience in these 60 chapters, and maybe in the spirit of what Henry Nouwen says about that, which is most personal, also is most universal. I'm hoping that that will be true for the readers. That's cool. I think that's a... And that's why I debate that question <laughs> as to whether or not it's a, it's a good or bad one. But anyway, well, I think it uncovers a truth that really helps us understand what it means to I'll steal from Brother Lawrence, practice the presence of God. Mm-hmm. Um, I think we we need to recognize that we have to set up miles these milestone markers to call us back. I think that's why the story in the, of the Israelites throughout the Old Testament is is there. It's because it's a, a picture of the people of God going through life, continually needing to be called back to their identity as his children, his, his people. And we're no different today. I mean, you, you look at, just take a look at your own life at some point and realize that you've had, you look back and you realize I've got these amazing encounters with God where he did amazing things. And then a week later, or even hours later, I feel like a total loser 
or I'm going right back to my sin and we've I think sometimes we think we're immune to that mm-hmm. and that our, our spiritual practices need to just be a continual gradual uphill climb and really uh, we're being called back over and over again to the God who's who's still pursuing us and uh, these practices like journaling or uh, the Inviso cards that that call us back to certain questions or uh, practicing gratitude. These are all practices that call us back to the way of Jesus. And yeah. we have to... That, that to me, is I think the, the most important lesson that I've had to learn over the last few years is... I mean, I get I get so caught up in thinking that I can just coast <laughs> and mm. and not worry about uh, somehow slipping away from what I what I've been trying to to move toward, and uh, it makes those milestones those uh, I use old church language those Ebenezer's <laughs> yeah so valuable yeah um, what is the change that you want to see take place in somebody as they read this book? Well, I think the main thing is I would like people to be more mindful that God's with them all the time. You know, the subtitle of the book is The Empowering Reality of God with Us. Of course, you know, Christmas comes along and we think of Jesus and he's Emmanuel, God with us. And that's a nice time to remember that. But it'd be really good to remember that, you know, on Tuesday morning at about 1030, mm. you know, or about three months into COVID-19. These are moments where we need to remember that God's with us. My, my big problem is not that I don't know stuff. It's that I don't remember stuff. Mm. Um, I know a lot of good things after 40 some years of seeking to be a follower of Jesus, but I forget. And so... I've been struck recently in my psalm reading how often uh, the people of Israel are just having to remember how often they rehearse their Exodus story. Why? I mean, they already know it. Mm -hmm. They know their story. Come on. But they forget their story in practical day-to-day ways, and so do I. And so um, I find that, you know, sometimes these sort of little daily interventions, like this book I hope will be, help us just remember, oh, yes. God is with me, and that is a wonderfully empowering reality. Uh, That's one of the main things I hope will happen for people who read the book. And one of the things I'll say, too, is uh, this is the second in a series. The first was titled Inhaling Grace. That was written as a 60-day reader also, but in the back there's a little guide for reading it through the course of Lent, you know, the 40 days leading up to Easter. This turns out to have a little... Uh, uh, reading guide in the back of it that uh, is for Advent. So we're releasing it in the fall in hopes that people who are looking for a book that they could use for other reasons they could use for Advent, there's an option for them to do that with this book. Cool. Are you guys going to uh, do another Facebook group where you invite people to do that along with you? Yeah, we probably will. Yeah, we've certainly done that a couple years in a row now with Inhaling Grace. And, uh, you know, obviously Advent's a little shorter yeah. uh, than Lent, but uh, yeah, I think we will be doing that. That's cool. We'll have to connect people with that. I joined the, I joined the one for Inhaling Grace this last Lent season, and I really enjoyed it. That was, that was really good. Oh, good. 
Well, Alan, thank you so much for being on the podcast. I can't wait to get a copy of this uh, book myself and begin going through it and join with you guys, you know, in Facebook groups and things like that. If, if we do that um, during Advent, where can people go to get a copy of this book and then get connected with uh, the work that you guys are doing? Yeah, so on our website, there's a page, unreliving.com slash way of presence. Uh, there we've, uh, we're including links. Initially, when it releases, which is the publication date is September 8th, it will be available in both paperback and ebook on the Amazon website because we're using Kindle Direct as the publisher. Uh, so that's the easiest place to go to get it. The web, the page on our website will also show other booksellers as it begins to become available at those other sellers. But starting on September 8th, uh, Amazon will be the place to go to, to get a copy. Great. And we will have links to everything in the show notes. And again, that should be available right now. So go down there, click that, head on over to Amazon and uh, pick up a copy. I can't wait to do it. <laughs> so, um, Alan, thank you so much uh, once again for uh, being our podcast father in the faith, um, <laughs> for, for, for bearing with us and, and returning so often. Uh, we really appreciate it. Oh, it's been a great pleasure to spend this time. I always enjoy our conversations. How can you create a lifestyle of discipleship? Most Christians think discipleship is a program or a few practices thrown in at the beginning or end of the day. But we want to help you create a lifestyle where walking with Jesus throughout the day is not only possible, but natural. And we have a tool that's going to help you do just that. It's called the Daily Growth Journal. It's a guided journal that's going to help you become secure in your identity with God and authentically walk with Him in your daily life. Growing daily in your walk with Christ is possible if you cultivate a lifestyle of discipleship. And the Daily Growth Journal will help you do just that. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Daily Growth Discipleship Podcast. To find out more about Alan's work, check out unhurriedliving.com. If you like what you've heard this week, give us a review on Apple Podcasts or the podcast player you use. We'd love to hear from you. If you want to stay up to date on everything happening at Daily Growth Discipleship, go to dailygrowthdiscipleship.com and subscribe for free. You can also subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Spotify. Spotify.